Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Plain talk. Unrivaled talk. Mike Graham. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The independent republic of Mike Graham. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the independent republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Do you know what? I know I said this yesterday. I think summer's actually here. I mean, it's warm. Uh, it's not too windy. Um... There's sun in the sky, there's not too many clouds out there. I think we've got every reason to look uh, very warmly upon the day uh, and to look very warmly on what is going to be the rest of the week. We, Wednesday, of course, it's Prime Minister's questions. However, uh, no Prime Minister. He's off to Hiroshima uh, to go and have another world summit somewhere about I don't know what. Uh, meanwhile, back here, we've got Oliver Dowden uh, versus Angela Rayner. Battle of the gingers, we're calling it, uh, because basically they've both got ginger hair. I know it's a bit low rent, I know it's a bit lame, but listen, um, it's not a bad little strap for the show, is it? Also, we're going to be talking today uh, not just about what is happening over the course of the summer when it comes to migration, uh, when it comes to the Tory party, when it comes to what exactly uh, is going to happen over the course of the next few months. We'll be talking about Keir Starmer and his idea uh, to punish landlords, to say basically you can't evict people no matter what terrible things they've done. And we'll be talking about how so many people are now in debt that they can't pay their bills. We're going to be talking about the life and soul and the battle for that soul of the Tory party with Tim Montgomery, founder of Conservative Home and former number 10 advisor. It seems to me that Suella Braverman is fighting a losing battle against her own cabinet. She wants to try and crack down on the legal migration that's coming in to the tune of around one million a year in this country. And her own cabinet is saying, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. And we need these people to come in and we need them to study. We need them to bring members of their families. We need them to come in to do jobs because we can't fill those jobs with the people who are now sitting here uh, unemployed and unemployable. It is a problem. We're going to get to the bottom of that. Also, yesterday I told you about the uh, huge rats that are invading Britain. We've now got a problem with wasps, believe it or not. There's going to be 3,500 wasps for every person this summer. I've already seen quite a few hornets and wasps knocking around. We'll be talking about that and finding out why it is in such a bad state. Also, Danny Shaw joins us to talk about the police using facial recognition. Uh, We'll find out why Michael Gove... Uh, has something to say about all of these things as well. Lord Daniel Moyne and Prime Minister's questions, of course, with Peter Cardwell. And also, finally, Mark Bukowski is going to join us uh, for the latest on Holly and Phil. Rumours around today uh, that Phil isn't going to make it and that Holly, of course, uh, may well not make it either. It's an astonishing state of affairs. And also, Megan's back. That's right. Uh, She's very kindly uh, graced us with her presence. Uh, She's appeared at some kind of an event uh, to pick up another award. 
So I just want to say thank you to Megan. We'll be saying that formally a little bit later on. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is the only place to be for the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Let's get it on. Time to say a very good morning today to Tim Montgomery, founder of Conservative Home, a man who knows a thing or two about the heart and soul of the Conservative Party. He's a former number 10 advisor as well. Tim, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. It's very sunny Salisbury. I'm yes. What a lovely today. part of the world to be in as well. Salisbury, you know, the heart of Middle England, you might say. Um, Absolutely. And, and the sort of place where there must be people scratching their heads going, what exactly does this Tory party stand for? Because it seems to me they've reached this kind of point of no return where somebody's going to lose the battle for that soul. And, and I fear that it might be the, the people that all agree with Suella Braverman. Yeah, well, I don't agree with Suella Braverman on everything by any means. But I think if you look at two of the things that voters you know, back the Conservatives for, one of them was to keep down their tax bill. Well, yeah. we all know how much tax we're paying at the moment. Yeah. Far too much and far too mu- far more than the Tories said that we would. Mm. And then the other thing is the control of immigration. Yeah. And uh, you look at social media and the way that Suella Braverman is treated. Diane Abbott, the black Labour MP, gets some abuse on Twitter and that. But the abuse that's levelled at Suella Braverman for taking the position that Britain should control its borders is out of control, mm. really. And all she is doing is trying to honour the Conservative Manifesto promise. Yeah. Well, as she said uh, just this week, you know, it's not racist to want to control the numbers of people coming into the country. It's not racist to ask for the people to come into the country uh, to identify themselves or to let us know what they intend to do while they are here. But I think the Mm. schizophrenic part for me of the Tory party policy is that while um, saying we need to stop the boats, we must stop this illegal migration, which I agree with, they've also said it's fine to let almost a million people come in, we think, in 2022 uh, legally whether to come yeah. as, as students or whether to come to fill jobs. I mean, it's an extraordinary number, isn't it? Look, there are long-term problems that the Conservative Party, the country, needs to tackle. We do have some very serious skill shortages. There are people in Britain who don't want to take work that um, if they were given the right skills, they were more than capable of fulfilling. And in the meantime, their employers crying out for labour. Mm. And so what the Tories, I think, are guilty of is post-2016, when we had the Brexit referendum, they didn't really take note of what that vote was all about. It was a vote for a different economic model. And what we should have been doing at that stage, for example, was moving resources away from universities, where we're churning out students with degrees that nobody needs, the country doesn't need, the individuals don't need, and investing in vocational education. So that young people inside Britain had the skills that currently we're turning to people from other parts of Mm. the world for. That wasn't done. That wasn't done. And that that great switcheroo, if you like, that great turning away from university education to vocational education would have meant we wouldn't have this, um, you know, very difficult Mm. choice that we all face now. Yes. But having said that, why then are we importing so many people who want to do 
higher education courses in this country, um, you'd have to think that one, it's one way to get here, which we don't know whether or not they use as a, as a method of staying here. We know it's also a method of bringing members of their family. So Ella Bravin was trying to put a stop to that uh, with some of her measures. And we learned this week that the cabinet said, no, 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 that's fine. We can still let people come here to study. Uh, we don't really know how long they're going to stay after they've finished and they can bring members of their family. I mean, it's a recipe for a very full country, it seems to me. Well, it is. I would say, though, Mike, the, the university sector is a very important export sector for the UK. I'm not saying that all university education, and I know, I know you wouldn't either. There are lots of um, very high quality degrees that come out of the British higher mm. education sector. It's one of the reasons why Britain is a world beater when it comes to science research and Nobel Prizes. We produce some of the finest forms of research in the, in the world. It was why we were you know, able to get the vaccine for COVID out mm. so quickly. Um, so we should be proud of our university sector. We should be proud of allowing people from overseas to pay good money to Britain to come here. The problem in the university sector is more at the lower end, the lower quality degrees. Yeah. It was Tony Blair's target, ridiculous target, of getting 50% of all children yeah to go to um, university. That's more the problem, I think. I think so. But an awful lot of the foreign students that come here aren't coming to go to Oxbridge or coming uh, to true. go to, to the big universities. They are coming to the kind of the, the, the higher education colleges in places like Hastings uh, and yeah. in sort of more marginal parts of Britain. And they're paying quite good money for it. I mean, I remember a terrible story of somebody who was a foreign student who was stabbed to death by some horrible racist gang down in Hastings. But it turned out his father had sent him to, to that college and it was something like 30,000 pounds a year to study some business or something in Hastings yeah. kind of community college. So, I mean, that cannot be said to be a great boon for the economy, I don't think. It's a great boon for, for Hastings Community College, but that's about it. And I just think, you know, we ought to be a bit more specific about the numbers. And surely otherwise, yeah. it's a free-for-all. And it is. It's basically, as you've uh, hinted, it's a ticket to get into Britain and then disappear into the economy afterwards. Mm. And so certainly during the, the Blair years, there was a great problem with sham colleges, colleges offering degrees. They're often actually about training people to learn English. And they weren't really doing anything like that. They were just aware of people getting into the country and then getting into the yeah. labour market. Yeah. And so just to go back to the, the fight for the soul of the Conservative Party, which... I would assume, is meant to be um, a Brexit party, is meant to be a party that wants to leave the European Union lock, stock and barrel rather than sort of um, piecemeal, a party that wants to get strong on immigration, a party that wants to lower taxes. You know, I don't see much of that coming out of this Rishi Sunak administration at the moment. Do you see that changing? Um, even if it was to change now, even if all the levers were to be pulled, Mike, we're um, 13 years into a Conservative government. And so we've had 13 years of these things not really happening, mm. or certainly not happening on the scale that people would want. And I think this partly explains the despair in Conservative ranks at the moment, is that they know we're at most um, a year and a half away from the next general election. It's probably quite a lot closer. You cannot undo 13 years of going in the wrong direction <laughs> in that sort of space of time. Mm. And people know that even if you tried to cut, even if you did cut, if, you, if the Chancellor got up this afternoon and announced massive tax cuts, would you believe that they were for real? Would half of the country, would, would a quarter of the country would believe that they were real? Or would they believe that they were just there as a 
pre-election gimmick and that the Tories would, you know, go back to their, their more of their natural state afterwards. Mm. And that's the fundamental problem, really, for the Conservative Party now, is people won't judge them, judge us, um, I say that as a Conservative, judge us on what we announce now. It'll be on how we've behaved over our yeah. long period in government. I think the problem for the country and the populace and the electorate, really, is that it's very hard to find any politician to trust. And in, in that, I include Sir Keir Starmer as well, because despite the fact that people are sick to death of the Tories, there's an awful lot of people who are not sure about taking the, the leap into the Labour uh, gene pool as well. Mm. Well, I think it's going to be one of the big features of the next general election is an examination of Keir Starmer's record, because um, some of your um, viewers and listeners know will pay a lot of attention to this, but many won't have done. He won the Labour leadership really by promising to be a continuity Jeremy Corbyn mm. candidate. He had pledges he made on nationalisation of public assets and taxation that were far to the left, for example, of the positions that Tony Blair took when he was Labour leader. And then once he safely became Labour leader, he abandoned all of those pledges and moved into sort of the more um, ill-defined positions that he has now. And there are lots of people in the Labour Party on the left. Owen Jones, the um, uh, prominent uh, uh, social media person, yes. who feel very much betrayed by Keir Starmer. And I think what you'll get from the Tories is a way of bringing that to public attention and saying he's betrayed all of these people. Why don't you think he won't betray mm. you as well? And so it's not going to be um, elevating, Mike. But no. I fear the next general election is going to be quite personal in its nature. Yes. With a lot of attack on uh, saying, well, maybe you can't trust us as Tories, but do you think they're going to be yes. any better. Well, I think, I think Labour, you know. yeah, Labour opened the door and all of that, so I suppose they'll only have themselves to blame. Stay with us, Tim, if you would. We're going to come back very shortly with Tim Montgomery, founder of Conservative Home, former number 10 advisor. But also, uh, we'll have a quick look at the Home Affairs Select Committee today, which is looking at uh, the Metropolitan Police's approach uh, to the coronation and how they policed it. Graham Smith, that bloke from Republic, who looks like he's never had a wash, is apparently appearing. I wonder if he's going to get a tie on or do his hair. This is Talk TV. On the app, on your mobile, talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We're talking to Tim Montgomery, founder of Conservative Home, former number 10 advisor. And also keeping an eye uh, on what's going on at the Home Affairs Select Committee, where Sir Mark Rowley uh, is answering questions about how the Metropolitan uh, Police behaved during the coronation. They came under fire, of course, for uh, arresting some members of Republic who wanted to demonstrate. Uh, they then apologised and then they said they should have done it. They had to do it. Uh, we're looking now at Matt Twist, who's answering questions from a, a variety of MPs. Let's have a quick listen some of the protest groups who are planning to, to attend. Um, obviously, this is something new for you to, to understand how to implement this legislation, how to use it appropriately. It's also something new for them. Could you take us through some of the detail um, in those communications and in that dialogue? So what would that look like? You know, if, do they, if they have questions, do they come back to you? Do you just point them at the bill? I think in the broader sense, um, it always works best when groups that are looking to protest um, engage with the police. And this is something that's been going on now for many years, where we have a protest liaison team, gateway team, and people that want to conduct large protests in London will make contact with that team. And that is not for us in any way to constrain what they want to do, but we can provide advice, we can provide, um, be clear on what the responsibilities of organisers might be. 
Um, and this is a tried and tested process for many, many protest groups now that will engage with our gateway team, who will then get notified about what they want to do. And what that helps with is it helps us provide a proportionate policing response, which at times may be nothing at all, um, depending on what the matters are in hand. Mm. There are some groups who don't engage at all, which makes things much more challenging, both in resourcing terms um, and in terms of what their intentions are and what, where they might go. So groups like Animal Rebellion or Just Stop Oil do not engage, despite repeated attempts for us to do that. Therefore, which means it leads to greater abstractions from um, local policing, frankly, as we have to continually manage um, an unknown sort of risk. In terms of this case, the, if we're talking about the Republic protest, um, not my king, then they did engage with the protest liaison teams in advance um, via multiple means um, in terms of letters earlier in the year, um, and then there was further correspondence um, in the run-up. I don't know whether there was specific engagement on the point of the new legislation. Because I suppose that's what I'm trying to so get. That's Matt Twist, the Assistant yeah. Commissioner of Metropolitan Police, talking about how difficult it is for the police in London, particularly now that it seems to become protest central. Tim, um, I know this is not uh, necessarily in your gate uh, wheelhouse, as it were, uh, but, I mean, uh, London does seem to become a focal point now for sort of any protest you can get your hands on. Just of all, we're, we're walking around only yesterday. And, and it's very revealing, it seems to me, that the police have reached a point where sometimes their response is, as he said, nothing at all. Uh, because yesterday they were asking... The just stop all guys please uh, would you mind walking on the pavement and the whole point of their <laughs> of, of their demo was to walk in the street so they were slowing yeah. down the traffic and so you do wonder sometimes where the police management is coming from yeah there seems to be an inconsistency to how these um issues are policed and i have enormous uh, sympathy for the police they're criticized from all sides all of the time but i think the balance between um the right to protest and uh, the right of the public to carry on in their lawful way mm. sort of tipped the wrong way. And I think, you know, when you see the police intervening to restrain drivers who are protesting yeah. against people blocking the roads, you wonder whether the, um, the police have got it right. Yes. But as for actually on the day of the coronation, I thought the police probably got it wrong. Um, arresting those um, Republican protesters. Mm. I'm sure the king would have preferred the protesters to have been able to make their um, point about um, being anti-monarchist. But then again, if they'd locked themselves to um, some uh, street furniture, yeah. got in the way of people wanting to celebrate the coronation maybe they would yeah because absolutely because you can say that with the, with the benefit of hindsight but the thing was yeah. that it went off very smoothly and i think that was due to the police being reasonably kind of intelligent about it rather than waiting for something to happen and they were yeah. and i've made this argument before they were able to protest other members of the public organization were marching up and down pall mall screaming yeah. not my king and and they were in trafalgar square as well so it wasn't as though they didn't have an opportunity to say it it was just mm -hmm. that the police thought these particular individuals had a plan to disrupt the the, the procession and so therefore yeah. i think fair enough but i i take your point i mean it is a, a delicate balance and and the police but the police have got some way to go i think to to, to depoliticize themselves and to try and take away um what they think they're doing right and actually just start policing and just start solving crimes and start solving burglaries uh, and start and i think there's know. a difference when i talk to police officers who are actually on the beat i think they are happier to intervene more mm. in these cases where there is um, interference with the public's right to do their normal uh, business i think the the orders to be um 
respectful or whatever or cautious towards the the protest they come from on high yeah i think it's more the top brass in the met and other police forces who uh, seem more keen to let these protests go ahead and i think that's been the case when you've seen things like the winston churchill uh, monument defaced mm. in previous marches the police were itching i think to intervene and stop those uh, that, that defacing yeah. it was uh, the, the top brass who were much more cautious yes Final uh, question for you. The Times this morning got a piece about three by-elections coming up. Um, former Prime Minister Boris Johnson has put Alistair Jack, Nadine Dorries, Nigel Adams and Alok Sharma forward as uh, possible um, members of the House of Lords. Um, I don't know what the time frame is exactly, but no. uh, I mean, um, it's not really what Rishi Sunak needs at the moment, I dare say, is it? Well, this would be an absolute headache for Rishi Sunak. You'd have three by-elections, which you'd almost certainly lose, and um, it would just be a terrible... Uh, indication of where public opinion was going before a general election. Mm. It would interrupt any message that he had in the countdown to an election. And so the pressure will be enormous now on these three Conservative MPs not to take uh, these um, these peerages if they're offered to them before the general election. Mm. Alistair Jack, the um, Scottish Secretary, said he won't take his. He wants to carry on as an MP. But, um, yeah, another little... Uh, time bomb left behind by <laughs> Boris Johnson for his successor. Yes. Uh, you almost can imagine Boris Johnson smiling, can't you? Well, I mean, you can imagine walking around inside of Downing Street, which you know better than I do, uh, sort of opening drawers and wondering what the hell's in there, really, can't you? It's <laughs> one of those sort of, uh, you, you succeed somebody in a job in newspapers and you don't want to look in the bottom drawer in case you yeah. find a load of invoices that they haven't paid. Finally, <laughs> today, uh, we're calling it rather un unkindly Battle of the Gingers. Um, yeah, uh, no highbrow. Yeah, well, listen, uh, we, we don't object to being populist here. You know, we don't mind holding our hands up. It doesn't mean we don't think intelligently. Um, we've got, obviously, Angela Rayner, who's always quite impressive on, on Prime Minister's mm. questions when she does it, uh, against Oliver Dowden, who, who looks as though he might become a bit of a victim here on the face of yeah. it. Yeah. Well, um, he's a pretty... He's very well regarded inside Whitehall. He knows how government works back to front. He's a very effective minister at sort of making the trains run on time, mm. if you like. But he's not known for his charisma. He's not known for his <laughs> swashbuckling performances. No. Whereas Angela Rayner is known as someone who knows how to you know, put it about a bit. Yes. And so it's a very unequally matched uh, contest today, which will perhaps make it a little bit more interesting than the normal... Um, I think it will. Although I must admit, Dominic Raab was much more impressive at the dispatch box than I expected him to be. Um, and, he was, yeah. and he was far, you know, because he was always painted as a guy who wasn't particularly well endowed uh, in the in the grey matter area. But he actually came across as a pretty smart guy and he came across yeah. as rather funny as well. Yeah. Well, he was a martial arts um, uh, student, of yeah. course, as well. So maybe you need a bit of uh, that sort of preparation to be good at... Yeah, a bit of the zen uh, about you, perhaps. But, yeah. but, but we shall see. It'll be interesting. That's at midday today. Tim, great to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Tim Montgomery, founder of Conservative Home, former number 10 advisor, uh, of course, telling us about the battle for the heart and soul of the Tory party. I think for an awful lot of people who voted Tory at the last election, um, they're never going to vote Tory again. And that's the problem. So Rishi Sunak needs to actually get his act together. He needs to look as if he's doing the things that the Tory voters want, which is to leave the European Union, not just to pretend to leave the European Union. Already some of the noises are being made around uh, the world and around these parts that, you know, Brexit didn't make, didn't work. Let's just forget about it.
Already, those are the noises being made. Well, let's make it work, shall we? Uh, let's stop the boats. Let's stop the ridiculous numbers of people coming to this country uh, to study and to do jobs that we should be doing ourselves. The working from home problem is still there. Uh, the sick note, Britain note, is still there. Annabelle Denham's going to join us, Deputy Comment Editor of the Daily Telegraph, because there's so many people now off sick that the economy has basically ground to a halt. What are we going to do about it? We'll find out next on Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, Tony in Barrow says this, Mike, the Conservative Party is now the cuckoo party as its MPs are not Tories. My MP is a member of RAMP, which is a pro-migrant group. His advisor on migration is an Algerian who lived in France, part of the United Nations Future Leaders Programme, travels to Malta to help illegal immigrants enter Europe and says he's a global citizen, not French, not British, not Algerian or even a European, uh, clearly from the No Borders Brigade. Um, and one here from um, Chris in Milton Keynes. Morning, Mike. When my boys were at university, they couldn't support themselves, let alone support six family members. In contrast to that, they're still paying now for going there. I don't understand how this works unless the dependents are dependent on us rather than the student. Perhaps you have some viewers who understand the phenomenon of family being dependent on students, but I suspect it's just another deliberate loophole in our system. Well, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, the idea that here we are asking uh, for something like 200,000, 300,000 people to come here to study because it's good business for the universities. Well, if they're bringing dependents with them, surely those dependents are then dependent on the benefit system. They can't be dependent on the student unless the student is coming here because he's some kind of multi-millionaire Saudi prince. I just don't see it being of any benefit to this country whatsoever. So Ella Braverman tries to stop it and is then kiboshed by her own cabinet. For heaven's sake, ludicrous situation. But let's talk about another ludicrous situation uh, where sick note Britain has now got more people than ever working uh, not just from home, but not working from home, i.e. being sick. And some people are saying it's because so many people are working from home. But there's literally millions and millions of people, uh, 2.5 million at the last count. Long-term sickness. I put this down to uh, lockdown. I put it down to people not having to go to an office. I put it down to people basically not being used to working very much. Let's talk to Annabelle Denham, Deputy Comment Editor at The Telegraph, to find out why this problem seems to be persisting. Annabelle, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. I mean, I find it a bit rich for people to say, oh, well, of course there's more people long-term sick because they're working from home. Well, I'm sorry, I don't see why the two things are related at all. But what I do see as things being related is if you are working from home, you're more likely, actually, to not do very much work at all. Well, I think part of the problem with working from home is that the debate is very polarised and actually there's very little evidence to back up either side. Mm. Um, so if you look at some studies, they suggest that output goes up when people um, are working from home, working remotely, working flexibly, perhaps working uh, condensed hours. In, in essence, they can make work fit around them. But then there are other studies that would show uh, the opposite of that. And I think, of course, you're going to get massive variation according to which industry you are in. It's extremely difficult to be more productive when you're working from home if you are you know, a bus driver yeah. or bin men, as what, you know, one council in South Cambridgeshire is uh, trying to trial bin men working a four day week and trying to suggest that somehow they'll be more productive. Very difficult to be more productive if you're in the police or if you're in yeah. the NHS. Um, when you're in the private sector, perhaps there are some industries where People might benefit from working home, from home, where they might benefit from working in fits and bursts. But I'm personally quite sceptical. And what I'm very uncomfortable 
people about Mike, is the idea that the government is going to introduce regulation that's going to force companies to offer flexible working when it doesn't suit their business needs. Mm. It, you know, this has to work for both sides. And that's why we've had voluntary arrangements uh, existing in the past. And it's not clear to me why the government feels it's necessary to move away from this, because quite clearly if it was beneficial to businesses then compulsion wouldn't be needed now when it comes to uh, the increase in the number of people who are uh, long-term sick which you mentioned um uh, in your intro you know we knew this at the start of the pandemic um that people were suffering from back and neck ache there was mm. some expectation that employers would provide uh, you know ergonomic um chairs and keyboards screens this sort of thing it's a nice thing and i think that a lot of employers have helped workers uh, in that regard but clearly this is you know this is a massive ongoing problem we need to look at the number of good doctors that perhaps are uh, handing out sick notes but perhaps they're doing that because they're under so much pressure because uh, the nhs remains unreformed um perhaps we need more people working in the department of working pensions uh, in order to properly check whether these people qualify for mm. uh, long-term benefits um if they are long-term sick you know there are so many questions that need to be asked so many difficult choices that need to be made that the government is consistently ducking. Well, it wouldn't surprise me that one of the reasons why you've got a lot of people obtaining long-term sick notes is that they don't have to see a doctor anymore because it's so difficult to see one that maybe the doctor's just giving them out willy-nilly without actually bothering to check whether the person saying that they're long-term sick uh, is, in fact, long-term sick. And we also know, I think it's a bit like the migration argument, we know that there are some people who come to this country with good intentions, but we also know some people don't. Similarly, we know some people might be suffering from some kind of long-term sickness, but others might just be taking advantage of the system because the system allows them to do so. You know, if you say, um, I've got a bit of a stiff neck this morning because you slept funny on the pillow, you know, you take a paracetamol and go to work. Other people might go, oh my God, I can't move. I better take the rest of the day off. And in fact, I better take the rest of the week off. And that's what I think has made these numbers go as high as they are. I think that's right. I think the lockdown really changed people's uh, mentality. Of course, the furlough scheme was extremely generous. It essentially allowed people to sit at home, sit on their sofas, not working and receive 80 percent of their salaries. I do think it's helped by, you know, that entitled mentality is probably helped by the fact that we have a high number of vacancies. It does feel as though all power at the moment is in the hands of employees. But we don't know what's going to happen to the British economy uh, in the coming months and years. And I think that that could change enormously we could see the number of vacancies start to drop okay we've seen a marginal reduction recently but i think it could come down more and have more people who are actually pretty desperately uh, looking for jobs and perhaps feeling as though they can't set the terms of their arrangements so you know let's see what happens there i think you're right about immigration for a long time a lot of businesses have been able to rely on cheap labor imported from abroad that stopped during the pandemic it, you know it's not sustainable to for an economy to be built on those foundations why is it that these companies are looking for immigrants to do the jobs that could be done by british people is it because our benefit system uh, is too generous you know we have to move towards a situation where it always pays to work and clearly we don't have that uh, at the moment you know perhaps in, in universal credit the taper rate needs to be adjusted more you know there's so many like i say so many important issues that the government needs to be mm. dealing with 
Um, and I think, you know, immigration now is really being brought to the fore. Um, and, you know, that issue of bringing in that cheap labour is being brought to the fore. Um, and let's see, you know, if the government can actually come come up with some kind of long term solution, because at the moment we're looking at, you know, net migration figures that could be over a million. Yeah. And I don't see how this is sustainable. It's going to have a knock on effect, of course, on uh, infrastructure, on public services that the government is refusing to reform. It just feels as though everything is moving in the wrong direction and that we have a conservative government that seems to think that if it can convince the public that it is managing the economy uh, managing the uh, country competently then that will be enough but it but it simply won't the other problem of course is that the public sector is rife with people who are off sick we know one of the problems the nhs has got one of the reasons they don't have enough nurses is not because they haven't got enough nurses on the books it's because loads of them are off sick similarly uh, we've got the royal mail coming out and saying one of the reasons we can't operate as we should is because so many people are off long-term sick same with the train companies you know all of the sort of public sector civil service arrangements seem to have more people who are off sick now i can't believe that it's actually because people who work in the public sector are generally less healthy uh, i think it's probably more to the fact that they can take time off, whereas most people in the private sector um, find it a bit more difficult to do. And certainly people who only get paid to turn up will not be taking time off sick because they don't make any money. No, that's right. People who might be on zero hours contracts or people who are working in the uh, gig economy, people who perhaps have less uh, job security than those who are working in the public sector. But you're absolutely right. What is this illness that might that is plaguing um, the public sector yeah. that doesn't seem to be affecting workers uh, in the private sector. Of course, we had that ONS data out recently, which was showing uh, the sorts of reasons why people might not might be calling in sick. So this is not people who are long term sick, but perhaps taking a couple of days off here and there. And it's it's things like coughs and colds and diarrhea. You know, a lot of these things are illnesses that people perhaps before the pandemic would have gone to work with. But yeah. You know, they're not uh, anymore. And like you say, people can't get to the doctor. So perhaps they're feeling, you know, if they're feeling a bit ropey, then they're going to make the decision to stay at home. If they're able to see the doctor, the doctor is under such time pressure that they're probably going to issue a sick note rather than having a lengthier mm. consultation with their patients. Um, the whole thing is a mess. It really is. The whole thing is a mess. Talking of a mess, what do you make of uh, Sir Keir Starmer's housing reforms? He wants to basically make it impossible uh, for people as landlords to kind of get rid of people um, who are um, misbehaving or wrecking the place. I mean, what do you what do you make of all of that? Sure. Yeah, I think actually Michael Gove might be the most dangerous person in British politics uh, at the moment with his demonisation of uh, landlords. I think the problem is that landlords are such easy prey for years now. Successive governments have treated private rented property like a whipping boy. They've imposed penal uh, taxes ever-increasing uh, regulation, and they've been able to do so with very little opposition, very little resistance. Yeah. Um, it gets massive support from the left. Um, Novara Media, that that um, media outlet, actually sell caps which say hate landlords uh, across the top of them, just to show you how uh, enraged and incensed young people feel towards, uh, particularly on the left, feel towards uh, landlords uh, at the moment. Um, but of course, you know, as with all regulations, it's going to have unintended consequences, making it making no fault uh, evictions uh, or banning no fault evictions, mm. um, making it too hard for um, landlords to evict rent uh, tenants if they're misbehaving or not treating the property uh, property properly will mean that more landlords leave the sector. And we mm. had data out recently that showed that the number um, of rental properties is declining. Yeah. And 
as you know, um, if demand is continuing to go up and supply is continuing to go down, then costs are also going to go up. So it's, it, this is not um, going to fix our broken rental sector. And it might give the government some favourable headlines in the short term, but it certainly is not a long term solution. In fact, it's going to make uh, the rental crisis worse. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Annabel Denham, thank you very much indeed. Deputy Comment Editor at Daily Telegraph there. Uh, Elon Musk has already come out today basically and said that working from home is actually morally wrong. Um, of course, people who will say, well, he would say that, wouldn't he? Because he doesn't like people working from home. Well, no, he doesn't. Because working from home is creating more problems than it is solving. And the only people who seem to like working from home are the people who don't really like going anywhere. They're the people who would rather not get on a train. They would rather not commute. They would rather not meet anybody. They've got nice little houses uh, in the countryside. They've got nice little suburban idylls sitting at the end of Acacia Avenue and with some blossom blowing swiftly across their front lawn uh, while somebody mows it for them. You know, this is not the answer. Just because you like it doesn't make it right. Oh, but I find it's much better for my work-life balance. Oh, really, do you? Far, marvellous, fantastic. But it's not very good for the balance of the economy, I'm afraid, because that's going down the gurgler. Let's try and fix it, shall we? 0344 499 1000. Coming up, I'm going to tell you a story about parking that you will not believe. Also, uh, we'll take some calls. This is Talk TV. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Be more CyberZen. Get NordVPN. Help avoid online trackers and malware-infected downloads. You could enjoy cleaner, safer, and more private internet daily. Be more CyberZen. Catch the special deal now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. NordVPN.com Does your broadband slither around your home? And at peak times, do things feel a little constricted well not when you get full fiber broadband from ee you get the peak time speeds you pay for count on ee full fiber broadband powered by bt limited availability check coverage at ee.co.uk slash coverage it could be that same numbers every week type it could be leaving it to fate with a lucky dip it could be you don't miss tonight's lotto double rollover play on app Lotto from the National Lottery. Account terms, rules and procedures apply. Players must be 18 or over. The Sun Super Days is off to Thorpe Park Resort with over 30 rides, attractions and live events, including Stealth. And new for 2023, Ghost Train with terror guaranteed. Get two free tickets worth over £120 when you collect codes inside the Sun. Pick up the Sun this Saturday to start collecting. Decent season booking fee apply. That's not simple. That's not simple. Now that's simple. Hastings Direct Car Insurance is simple. Because when life is this complicated, finding a great deal shouldn't be. Great cover, great price, and a great app makes us one of the UK's top choices when comparing car insurance online. Hastings Direct. Simplicity is the best policy. 
edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk, Mike Graham. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is a Wednesday, of course, we're right in the middle of the week. Prime Minister's questions coming up. Oliver Dowden, though, versus Angela Rayner. We're calling it uh, the Battle of the Gingers coming up at midday today. Uh, we'll have that all analysed for you by Peter Cardwell. Lord Moylan's going to join us as well. He'll have something to say about the immigration situation. Robert Olds is here too, director of the Bruges Group. Uh, he's going to be talking to us about the latest from the Conservative Party, where there seems to be a bit of a schizophrenic approach at the moment. On the one hand, you've got um, just um, uh, Rishi Sunak telling people that the boats must be stopped, we must stop all the boats coming. But meanwhile, there's an awful lot more people coming in legally into this country. We're going to find out next week, on May the 25th, exactly just how many came in 2022. We think it could be approaching one million, though, which is a ridiculously high number, a ridiculously high figure, albeit that it might contain some people from Ukraine, might contain some people from Hong Kong. Overall, though, it's mostly people who have agreed to come here to work in particular jobs or uh, they've come here to study many of them bringing dependents with them. Now, it seems to me that if you bring dependents with you, then actually um, you're not really coming here to study because the dependents are going to have to be dependent, not just on you, but on us, the taxpayer, I'm afraid. Uh, before we do anything, though, like, have a look at this because Just Stop Oil had a protest, would you believe, inside the committee room where the Metropolitan Police were speaking to the Home Affairs Select Committee. Now, this is inside Parliament, by the way. So have a look at this. It would have been unusual, which I think is why um, it would have aroused suspicion of the officers. You usually use a combination lock to stop. Oh, We're here today to become a democracy. Wearing a t-shirt isn't illegal. We should not have been arrested for wearing t-shirts. We were on the coronation. On the coronation, we were arrested for wearing t-shirts. Thank you very much. I mean, the police are in there, right? It's supposed to be a matter of national security. It's inside the Parliament building. It's inside the Palace of Westminster. How are these people getting in? What is the... Um, security like because it doesn't seem like it's very good for heaven's sake uh, joe collins from mitchum says this hey graham it's a bit rude you rock up to the london bridge studios and shoot the breeze for three hours what do you know about work okay collins i'll tell you um sure this is not ian collins sending this um I turn up for work about two hours before the show starts. I stay here about two hours after it finishes. Also, um, I shoot other sh shows while I'm here. Sometimes I go away and come back. Yesterday I did a podcast in the afternoon and I came back to do a show at nine o'clock. I'm not saying it's work, you know, but it's not just three hours. You don't just create something as brilliant as this show by turning up and just doing it, is all I can say, Joe. But thanks for your offering. Um, Robert Olds is here, director of the Bruges Group. Robert, very good morning to you. Good morning, Graham. Uh, you can call me Mike, it's okay. Uh, but no, thank Mike. you very much for joining us. Listen, um, the migration story in the Conservative Party has become very schizophrenic, it seems to me. You've got, on the one hand, Suella Braverman saying, look, we need to cut back on the numbers, including not just the boats, but also the, the legal numbers. Um, but you've got the rest of the Cabinet apparently saying to her, well, we don't want to look as if we're too right-wing. You know, what's going on? 
There's nothing right wing about wanting to control immigration because one of the main reasons why uh, many people feel this way indeed is because, of course, low skilled immigration damages the productivity of the UK overall. And that's been confirmed by a report by the Bank of England as long ago as 2016. So it makes those on low wages less well off. It means that the value of their labour is decreased. And this is something, one reason why many working class people uh, voted for Brexit and indeed the Red Wall came crashing down in 2019. People wanted to have these controls because they wanted to protect their livelihoods. It's very good for people such as uh, Lord Rose, the then chairman of Marks and Spencers, who warned that controlling immigration would mean higher wages, which he felt was a bad thing. Right. But that's a good thing. It's exactly what we need because, of course, we have wages have hardly increased from the financial crisis of 2008 for 10 years until Brexit did have some effect in limiting migration. That, of course, has since pretty much ended. Yeah. Of course, we have a cost of living crisis as well. The inflation is going, the rate of inflation is going down, but it's still alarmingly high. And of course, we have this pressure, downwards pressure on, on wages for the least well off. And the market would be able to respond and give people better paying jobs if there wasn't this cheap pool of labour that some people want to take advantage of. And that's that's that should be something the Labour Party should understand. And indeed, Keir Starmer has has said that they, 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 they should try and limit uh, low-skilled immigration. But the Conservative Party is, unfortunately, according to many people, putting the interests of businesses that want to pay people a wage that's lower than what people actually need mm. to live Yeah, and I think that's where the schizophrenia comes in, isn't it? Because they've got it wrong, it seems to me. You know, it's all very well if you want to be on the side of business and say, okay, uh, you know, let's try and help business. But on the other hand, they're putting up corporation tax. You know, they're making it more difficult for small business to to coexist uh, in a marketplace which is very heavily populated by international, you know, global corporations. And yet... um, I smell a rat here as well, because, Robert, I don't know about you, but I don't believe for a second that all of these so-called students coming here on student visas are coming here to study. They're clearly coming here to live. They're clearly using the study visa as a means of entry, and they're clearly bringing dependents with them uh, who must then become dependent on us. Indeed, we can just see that this is not just young men coming here. It's also um, families. And, of course, it's also people bringing across their grandparents to then look after the children while the the two parents are having to work, which, of course, will be a further burden. People already experiencing in schools on the southeast, they can't get a a place. There's massive queues for doctors, Mm. surgeons to try and be seen in A&E for anyone who's unfortunately had to use that. Of course, there's so many people putting pressure and this isn't controlled. And of course, the latest idea is it would just make it easier to build on the green belt. So our nature, our, our, our quality of life in rural areas is going to suffer as we have to turn uh, this once green and present land into a building site to deal with the demand. The simplest thing is to control the migration. And that would go some way of easing the housing crisis as well. Right. You're absolutely right about the, the tax policy. It the corporation tax system is beating up the small businessman. But if a large corporation has indeed the accountants and and the lawyers to uh, argue that their money is being reinvested, they will then get lower corporation tax. That's something that a small business can't manage. So the the pitch is being queered against Mm. 
who are least well off and those who are running small businesses who generate most of the economic growth and most of the jobs and many opportunities yeah. for people and they're finding it harder. It's very, very unfair and people are right to feel aggrieved. Yeah. And finally, it is actually on uh, the main news agenda now, immigration in this country. I mean, we've been banging on about it for years here, as I'm sure you guys have at the Bruce Group. Finally, you know, the Radio 4 Today programme today actually did a story about Albanian gangs. Incredibly, they've just woken up to the fact that some people come here from Albania to take part in drug running, to take part in human trafficking. I mean, we now see a story today um, that something like a 1,000 uh, or more, 8,000, in fact, I think, uh, Albanian um, uh, refugees have been sent home. Um, many of them actually have been paid to go home. 1,500 quid apiece. And many of them have come here uh, illegally because they had been previously deported. Some of them have been in prison here. Um, at least they seem to be getting on top of that one small portion of, uh, of illegal crossings. But there's still loads and loads of people coming from elsewhere. Hundreds and hundreds of people now coming from the Indian subcontinent, coming still from North Africa. Um, the whole of Europe is, is kind of an open um, door to most people coming from anywhere else in the world. Um, I think Richie Sunak's right to address that, but has he got any chance of fixing it? Well, Suella Braverman is really pushing him and, and forcing him there, but it seems that Richie Sunak isn't clearly doing enough. He's saying the right things because he, he has to. He's been told you will lose the next election really badly unless you deal with this. So he's making uh, a, a, a pretense, but there needs to be a stronger defence of, of our borders. We need to invest in, in cutters to... Uh, make sure the, the the coast is properly defended. But people needed to be returned to mm. France as well. We are we are soft touch. And instead of paying France lots of money to uh, put on a few extra patrols, because it doesn't really go that far, the extra money that's being provided to France to try and seal uh, the English Channel, mm. but you're going to have to take a more robust approach and and and, and embarrass them. Our, our you know European partners or former partners are, are not really being very friendly to us at, at all. No. They never when we were in the European Union, people were just coming in, you know, as many as five million people uh, claimed a British um, right to remain uh, as a result of being European Union citizens. That's even higher mm. than the evidence we were just told originally in uh, 2003 by Blair that it'd just be 13,000 migrants coming from the European Union. There were as many as five million yeah. and probably more, uh, some of which would have, would have gone back, but those five million remained. This is a horrendous amount because, of course, whilst people are always very welcome and protected in this country, and that's why it's a, it's a much safer haven to come to uh, than places like France, which is subject to riots and, and other social difficulties. And indeed, Britain's has been a, a lot better, a lot more welcoming country. I think we've done our bit, quite, quite frankly, and there's only so much generosity that we can give and so many... Uh, so many school places that we can provide, so much housing we can provide. Um, but this is the problem, isn't it? Because it's a sort of a, it's a bit pushed of a, down so far. The whole problem with immigration, uh, which has become now very clear, is that it's been for several years now a bit of a Trojan horse because one of the reasons that people use for coming here is that they've got family here. And then you find out that the family they've got here came here illegally some years ago, uh, but now they've got settled status because they've been here so long, it's taken us so long to process their claim, that they've got asylum anyway. We also know that every single country in Europe rejects more asylum cases than we do. You know, we allow almost 75% of them because we're so inept and because we're so useless. But every other country in Europe that many people, you know, would like to point to as the beacons of democracy actually block more people than we do. The Home Office is useless. It has been failing, but it can't, you know, one, one can, there, there's the 
the cock-up theory of, of history. There's also the, the conspiracy. I also feel that some people actually welcome this as, as a policy. Mm. They will speak about diversity. So, they, yes, they are incompetent, we know. But they, one thing they can do is successfully open the borders and let more, more people in willy-nilly. And they, fan, they support this system because they talk about diversity and there is indeed a political agenda. There's yeah. a reason why Keir Starmer is saying he's going to give votes to foreign nationals in the UK, mm. not even... You don't won't have to be a British or citizen of the Republic of Ireland or various Commonwealth countries. People who are just remaining here can vote in a general election and no doubt also perhaps a referendum on rejoining the EU, which uh, they would be, be foolish to hold because, of course, that would be an apt, utter insult. But this is clearly what they're thinking. They're thinking these people who vote, vote with us. So, you know, we have a government that's a potential government in terms of Labour that's thinking that they're going to perhaps uh, replace the people and uh, elect a new a new people in their place. Mm, absolutely right. Robert, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Robert Olds, director of the Bruges Group there. Uh, incredulous, as I am, at the numbers, the sheer numbers being pumped out by the Home Office as if it's a drop in the ocean, as if it's all fine, as if it's all dandy, as if it's not a problem for us to have a million net migration legally coming to this country, as if that would be uh, a recipe for success, as if that would mean there aren't enough houses, as if that might mean there aren't enough school places, as if that might mean there's enough space on the roads, as if it might mean that actually there's too many people coming in. It's as simple as that. Paul says it's a pity the cabinet aren't more right wing. That's what 17.2 million people voted for. Exactly. Um, how about this from Roger? Has anybody noticed that the Just Stop All protesters are almost exclusively white? Where's the diversity they so love amongst this lot? Yeah, terribly white, some might say. Uh, and one from Mark who says, uh, I'm in Bristol. Double rollover today's incorrect name check. 62 quid banked. How does that work? What, if I get more people to call me Graham, you make money? I, I deserve a cut, don't I? For heaven's sake. Send me some money, Mark. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, this is Talk TV. On the app, on your mobile, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. David from Mansfield says, Morning, Mike. I can't believe the Parliament Select Committee grilling the Metropolitan Police over the arrest at the coronation. Simply, uh, uh, the simple answer is prevention is better than the cure. What another waste of taxpayers' money? This is right up the Labour, SNP and Lib Dem street to stick the knife in. What a shower of woke idiots. John in Wallington says, The Tories have let us down so badly on immigration, I fear they have blown it for years to come. We are so disappointed with them. Bring on Farage, Tyson, Reform, UK. Uh, and Rod says, Tim Montgomery is right that Brexit should have moulded our workforce for the future, but didn't. The simple fact is the establishment didn't expect the Leave campaign to win and therefore no plans were made for Brexit. Cameron and his cohorts at Whitehall were caught with their pants down and are squarely to blame for the current debacle. Well, you could say that, but it's all so long ago now. You know, the referendum was in 2016. It may well be the civil service wasn't ready to make uh, changes that they needed to make in 2016. But it's now 2023, for heaven's sake, seven years later. So what have they been doing exactly? What on earth is going on? Let's talk to Danny Shaw. Uh, we've just been watching, Danny, a very good morning to you, the uh, Metropolitan Police justifying their behaviour at the coronation. I thought they did entirely what they should do, but it's rather ironic that Just Stop Oil managed to break into the thing uh, and make a little demonstration. I mean, this is inside the Palace of Westminster, for heaven's sake. You'd think they'd, they'd have slightly better security, wouldn't you? Well, it's very difficult to stop, isn't it, Mike? Because it? Um, they clearly weren't carrying any weapons. I mean, if you've been through um, the security at, at the Houses of Parliament, mm. it's very tight security. Uh, and you have to go through uh, scanners. You have to empty all your pockets, take off your belt and everything else. 
Now, if you haven't got any metallic objects that you know could cause a problem, if you haven't got any paint or any anything like that, any chemicals, um, why should you be stopped? Uh, so you know, well, you I, shouldn't I, be. But I find it amazing. I mean, if I tried to get into a, a Home Affairs Select Committee meeting um, and managed to sort of reserve myself about six seats in it, I think that'd be probably pretty hard to do, wouldn't it? Uh, it's you know what i mean this is one of the great sort of dilemmas in a way mike is that you want to have a parliament and a building that is accessible to the public where yourself any other member of the public can turn up and watch a hearing uh, and watch a committee hearing you might have to queue up for quite a long time to get there but you know some people will do that so you want something that's accessible but you also want tight security but within that, if someone wants to, I didn't see the pictures, mm. if these guys want to stand up and say something and make a protest and perhaps take off their shirt to expose a T-shirt which has a slogan on. Yeah. Very hard to stop that, Mike. Yeah. I'm not no, I listen, sure. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to have a row with you. I'm just saying to, to organise for six people who want to take part in that type of demonstration. And I'm, I, I mean, my, my view on whether they should be allowed to do it is, is not really relevant in this one. But I, I would say they shouldn't. It's quite difficult to get a place in one of those committee meetings. There's not very many public seating places available, is all I'm saying. So, you know, surely they must be able to make it a bit more difficult for them. Well, you could do. I mean, you, you could have a system where you have to, which is what happens in big court cases, for example, which are very popular. You could have a system whereby you have to reserve a place and then you have to give your uh, email or credentials yeah. and someone checks that out. Right. You could have a system like that um, for committee hearings. Sadly, I, I think that probably will be the way it will go. Yeah. And that'll be, and then and that'll be the the, the the sort of architects of their own demise. But let's talk about what we started off, what we were going to talk to you about, and this is facial recognition to be added to police officers' body worn cameras. I mean, this is something now, I suppose, body worn cameras that we get used. I was in a, in a shop the other day, um, uh, a famous, I'm not going to give the brand name, but a famous little sporting um, warehouse type shop, and, and the security guards there were walking around with body cams on, and I'm thinking. Presumably, this is in case they get into some kind of stramash with a with a shoplifter or something like that. Um, so, I guess people by now are not terribly upset that police have got these things because they need to have them. Um, does it really matter whether they've got facial recognition or not? Well, I I, I think it probably does matter. Um, I have to say, first of all, I think we're quite a long way away from police body worn cameras having facial recognition on them. Um, this is a comment that comes from the policing and crime minister, Chris Philp, mm. uh, who I think last week said, you know, that's what we perhaps might be looking at in the future. So we're quite a long way away mm. from that. Um, and, and the reason for that is because there have been such sort of a backlash against the attempts to use live facial recognition cameras in a very limited way already uh, with big crowds, South Wales Police and the Metropolitan Police have both been challenged around the use of facial recognition cameras. There was a big court case uh, which South Wales police eventually lost around that, around the legality of that. And so the police have had to go very, very slowly, step by step, getting a public opinion on their side, making sure there's appropriate guidance uh, and legal rules are all in place before they do it. We know the Met Police used it at the coronation. In fact, at that committee hearing, what we heard was that the Met had facial recognition cameras in three locations and made two arrests, including a man uh, who was wanted, who was a convicted rapist, right. who was wanted for the breach of a sexual offences prevention 
order. Right. So that shows you the potential benefit mm. of having those cameras in that they can spot wanted people who may be on a watch list. Officers will then uh, go and speak to that individual. And if it is the person they believe uh, the cameras say it is, they can then make an arrest. So I, I think we're a long way from having body worn cameras with live facial recognition, but probably, you know, it could be five years yeah. away or ten years away. I mean, I so, guess the, the the issue is whether it's accurate enough to be used and acted upon, isn't it? I mean, that's that's I suppose the main question. That that's the question. Some recent research, uh, which the Metropolitan Police uh, published uh, a couple of months ago from the National Physical Laboratory, showed that on the particular setting that the Met is now using. There are only one in 6,000 people who get a false match. That does not mean that that person will be arrested. All it means is the camera will flag someone up, one in 6,000 people. Uh, the officer will then look at that image, speak to that individual. And if you know, they decide, no, it's not, it's not the person on the watch list, then that's the end of it. Mm. Now, that's, um, you know, the police feel that that's a pretty good basis upon which to extend the use of those cameras. The, the research also suggests that there is no difference in terms of what ethnicity you are mm. or if you're a man or a woman. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's purely for me, it's a matter of, of technology, really, because um, it's going to become something that is used more and more and more in everyday life. Like I say, I mean, to now see that, that basically security um, staff at, at shops have got um, body cams, you know, pretty soon maybe we'll all be walking around with them. You see cyclists all the time walk with their uh, with their cameras on their helmets, you know. There's an awful lot of, you know, what you might call surveillance TV footage going around. Absolutely. I mean, look, there are cameras everywhere and we're quite happy, um, aren't we, to go online and give our details, to buy items online. Those details may have our home address, it may have our email address, it may have our credit card, bank details. Right. We're quite happy and willing for those details to be used, um, you know, by companies who may then share that data. Goodness knows what goes on. Mm. What has to happen for the police to extend the use of facial recognition is for there to be a proper legal and oversight regime. And that is what the biometrics, a very interesting blog today from the Biometrics and Surveillance Camera Commissioner, mm. Fraser Sampson, has written. He is the kind of guy who's in charge of the oversight of this, who says we've got to accept this technology is here, it has benefits, it's here to stay, but we need a better oversight and regulation system to ensure it's not misused by the police. Because clearly that data, if it's misused by the police, it could lead to injustice, clearly. Mm, indeed. Danny, thanks for talking to us. Danny Shaw, their crime and policing commentator uh, on the possibility that uh, in a few years' time, mind you, uh, it may well be that police use facial recognition cameras. I don't particularly have a problem with it. And as you see, as you see uh, from what Danny said, there is a benefit uh, if they can lift somebody who's been wanted for a sex crime and who's on the run, then by all means. But if they get it wrong, of course, what happens then? That is the question. Uh, this is Talk TV. We're going to be talking wasps coming up. Yesterday we had rats. Now it's a plague of wasps that are coming in the summer. So be very, very careful uh, if you're looking around, looking up to the skies. What's that buzzing sound ahead of me? Oh, my God. It's a wasp nest. This is when they start making them. You know what they look like, don't you? I'll tell you in a minute. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Lord Moylan's here. We're going to be speaking to him uh, very shortly all about, of course, what is going on out there uh, in the Houses of Parliament and why they can't seem to get their security right. We'll come up uh, with something on that. Uh, our good friend Donald McLeod has sent me this. Uh, it reminds me of a joke about uh, a man walking into a pet shop in the wasp store. He says to the assistant, I would like to buy some wasps. The assistant says, we don't sell them. Uh, he says, well, why have you got them all in the front window? Yeah, I know. 
You, I know, it's silly, isn't it? Never mind. Uh, listen, uh, lots of you have been in touch as well about the Parliamentary Select Committee and the grilling that was going on. Um, here's one about working as well. Mike, if you're a good worker, it doesn't matter where you work. The important thing is you are meeting your job objectives. I work at home a lot and often do work outside of the normal nine-to-five day. In addition, many companies are global, and so the workforce is international, and you can find yourself working with people in Asia or the US on calls at odd times during the day. You need to stop being pejorative in this area. Every time has a context, and sometimes being in the office is less productive than not. Well, I mean, you're entitled to your opinion. You would say you work very hard from home, but nobody knows whether you do or not. That's the problem. Uh, you might say that everybody that works in an office is not all that productive. Some people are just not very good at their jobs. And I agree with you that if you are a good worker, it doesn't matter where you work. But generally speaking, I would say if you're not supervised and you're not in an environment where other people are working with you physically, you're more likely to swing the lead. You're more likely to stick Netflix on and go, do you know what? I'm going to have a cup of tea. I'm going to sit down with a sandwich and I'm going to watch another episode of uh, Friends or whatever. And then before you know where it is, the day's over. And you say, oh, yeah, I'll send that email. It's all very well. You know, people, generally speaking, are quite lazy and they need to be encouraged to work. Most people are not workaholics, and I get all that. Most people would rather not sit on a train for three hours uh, waiting for, you know, a driver to turn up and being cheeked by jail with a load of other commuters. I get all that too. I'm just saying, I don't think you can make an argument that economically it's bad for the country, as we can see. Uh, it's clearly creating more people who can now swing the lead and pretend that they've got some sick, long-term sickness problem because they don't see anybody all day, so nobody can really judge. And I just think, generally speaking, if you were to compare the economy of today with the economy of pre-pandemic Britain, you would say that it was better then uh, when it was busier. Simple as that. Lord Moyland is here. Uh, Lord Moyland, welcome uh, to the Independent Republic. I don't know if you've got a view about the sick uh, man of Britain and all that sort of thing. We've got more people sick in this country than we've ever had. Um, I think it's got a lot to yeah, do with people... Do something about that and encourage them back to work. Well, I think that, you know, whatever people say about how nice it is to work from home, and I'm sure it is very nice, you know, the economy is suffering as a result of not enough people going physically to work in an office. Yeah, I think there are some jobs where you probably can do it fine from home, but for an awful lot of jobs, the learning, the social, I mean, I don't mean social in the sense of parties, but the, the you know, the, the working together and yeah. the learning um, and all of that is sort of crucial to, um, to a, a skilled workforce and to, and indeed to the sas job satisfaction. Exactly. So um, I think we really need to be encouraging more people back to the office yes. or back to the workplace. And we need to be doing something very positive about encouraging people uh, who um, are uh, suddenly sick uh, long term uh, back into the workforce. We're short of workers. Mm, definitely, definitely correct. I mean, it's, a, it's a blessing to be short of workers. I remember, I'm old enough to remember when we had major unemployment problems in this country. Mm. And the idea that we were short of workers was, is actually, if you think about it, is, 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 is a great deal better than the reverse. But nonetheless, it is a problem. And well, we've got people there who could work and, and, and need to be encouraged and paid to do so. Yes, because there now seems to be um, a debate sort of raging around the political world that we've got a series of people, millions of people in this country who are economically inactive and who therefore are not working uh, gainfully, are not employed gainfully. Uh, so therefore we have to import people from other countries to do the jobs that they're not doing. Do you think that's right? Yeah. No, I don't think it's right. And I think the constant cries of uh, business to... Um, have more uh, workers, often in low-skilled um, um, uh, jobs, um, it, uh, and from the farmers, is, um, is, is a danger to the country. And it's also a block on automation and innovation. 
I mean, I always take an example, when you think about it, in, 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 the, southern, in the southern states in the United States in the old days, um, you had the, 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 the scandal of slavery in order to pick cotton. Yeah. Um, eventually, of course, that was all abolished, and quite rightly. And, and, and the workers drifted off to work in industrial towns up in the north. What did they do? They invented a cotton-picking machine. Right. So they automated. You know, and that's what we need to think about. We need to think about imaginative and inventive ways of doing jobs that people no longer want to do. Simply substituting huge numbers of poor people from elsewhere in the world um, is, 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 is not the answer. Mm. It can't be. It's an unsustainable business model. We've been running it for 25 years and it obviously isn't working. It isn't helping with productivity and it isn't helping with, with keeping our nation, if, to turn to another subject, uh, keeping our nation coherent and relatively happy, and it's certainly not helping with the housing crisis. Well, exactly right. And as Sorella Braverman said the other day, um, there's no point in importing people into this country uh, because you feel like you need to either help them or provide them with jobs if that's actually making the people who are already here worse off. And it seems to me that by importing legally, you know, a million people, if that's what the figure turns out to be, you're actually importing people who will eventually be on benefits because their family members will come, they'll have children here, they'll have to go to school. You know, we will be net losers uh, financially. Well, I don't know. I mean, I can't say that. I don't know. I haven't worked all that out whether we're going to be net, because we, we get benefits from having uh, immigrants as well, some economic benefits. But my point is different. The, the economic benefits we get from having uh, migrants um, in the short term are preventing us from getting the economic benefits that would come if we actually invested in training, in skills, in automation and innovation. Because that's how an economy grows, not through, through bringing in low-skilled work, just adding to the workforce mm. at the lower-skilled end. It's through in, in investment, automation, training, skills, all of those factors Gordon Brown actually used to go on about mm. that we need to be doing, and business won't do it as long as they have a steady supply of cheap workers, which I'm afraid the government is too ready to offer mm. them. Well, and the other problem for me is that we're not getting any benefit whatsoever from people coming here illegally. Uh, in fact, if anything, it's costing us a fortune. We're spending you know, upwards of six or seven million pounds a day housing them in hotels. We're telling them they can't work so that we don't get any benefit from them there. It then turns out that we see today uh, that a bunch of um, Albanian people have been sent back to Albania. Some of them offered 1,500 pounds to go back. So we're actually paying them coming and going. Well, I've no idea you know, whose bright idea it was to pay it was a home office. deportees. <laughs> um, um, somebody in the Home Office obviously had a bright idea that I think needs very careful um, examination yeah. because I just don't think people are going to wear that at all. I mean, that's completely dark. Yeah, well, These they've been offered the money. Apparently, they've been apparently they've been offered prison the, sentence. Yeah, no, they've been offered the money apparently in return for, in in the Home Office's words, agreeing to deportation. I'm sorry, I didn't think it was um, something you had to ask people permission for. Uh, there is a point that it is actually quite expensive to deport somebody um, if they're not going to go voluntarily because they have to be guarded and accompanied and taken on the plane mm. and so on. And, uh, and, and of course, you end up, of course, a lot of that has wasted at the last minute when they put in an appeal uh, to, to the courts um, in some cases. 
So I can see how you could work that out, but the, you know, I think trying to explain that to ordinary people, somebody should have thought about that very carefully. Um, the idea of saying, well, if you don't need a guard and you go voluntarily, we'll pay you the cost of the guards. Yes. I, you know, I, I think that's really not... But most of these people as well are people who have been serving time in prison, largely for drug offences. I mean, we know for I sure that, uh, yeah. that the Albanian crime gangs have taken over the drug business in this country. And I'm not saying that every Albanian that comes here is in a drug gang, but an awful lot of them are. And all of these people, and they've interviewed one on the BBC, um, who says that he'd been serving a six-year sentence for drug offences, was released for deportation after serving just two of them, and they gave him the money anyway. Yeah, well, as I say, um, it's very hard to um, explain this to the public, and yeah. I'm glad I'm not the minister whose job it is to do so, because I would, I would be going back and saying, no, let's look at this again. Are you also glad you're not Oliver Dowden today, who will have to face Angela Rayner across the uh, dispatch box? Well, funnily enough, I wouldn't mind being Oliver Dowden because I think Angela Rayner is, um, is pretty easily dealt with. I mean, a less persuasive, less convincing representative of socialism uh, you could hardly <laughs> think of. She only has to, I mean, you know, at least in my case, any, almost anything she says, you know it's going to be wrong. Yeah. Um, um, uh, too extreme, too mad, too crazy. I mean, I think Oliver Dowden could have an easy ride with Angela Rayner, if you see what I mean. Brilliant. Well, listen, uh, very good to speak to you, Lord Morning. Thank you very much indeed. That's generally brightened up everybody's day, standing there in the sunshine, uh, saying that uh, Angela Rayner could not be more wrong. We'll see. Oliver Dowden, of course, will be up uh, very shortly at uh, Prime Minister's Questions. We'll bring you the best of it uh, coming up in the next hour with Peter Cardwell. Uh, We'll also be talking to Mark Bukowski about what on earth ITV are up to and when are they going to sort out this morning? For heaven's sake, uh, this is Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work.